Uh, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke 24. Uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 35. Luke 24, 13 through 35. And as you turn there, uh, 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 <clears throat> just uh, very excited. We're kind of in our final chapter. Uh, and uh, for those of you kind of just wondering if you haven't heard already where we're going to be in the next few, maybe in the, in the next series, uh, before the, the new series, I'm going to take a, a just a, like a brief short, kind of ser- short, maybe one month or so in Psalm 119. We're going to look at a couple of the sections there. And then uh, after that, we're going to, we will, Lord willing, uh, start the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers. So, you know, probably, <laughs> you've probably not heard too many sermons on the book of Numbers. You may have heard actually pastor here, but you've probably not heard, ever heard the book of Numbers preached through. So uh, that should be uh, edifying for many of us. Uh, many of us will be stretched and uh, encouraged by the word of God and understand. And strive, as we strive to understand not only what it says, what it means, but uh, what it, particularly how it might apply to our lives today. And God's word is uh, always timeless in its application for us. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Uh, we're in Luke 24, verse 13, 35. We're gonna, I'll be reading the sermon within the text. And, and just uh, we, we, let me pray together with us real quickly. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for making clear in your word, your son. Lord, as we look at your son today, help us to know you more, to love you more, desire to live for you more. God, we pray that we would follow in in the footsteps of Jesus, that we would look to him always as the shepherd of our souls. Thank you, Lord, that he is alive and seated now at your right hand, interceding even for us today. It's because of him and in him that we draw near. We pray that Christ would, that you would teach us in Christ. His spirit would be our teacher, convict us of, of, of sins, convict us of these truths, and light a fire in our hearts. As we look to these truths this morning in, the, in your book, these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. As we're in our last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, I you know, draw our thoughts back to the first chapter of Luke. Remember back in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, in those first four verses of the gospel, Dr. Luke, who wrote, he writes this book as well as his follow-up in, in the book of Acts, records the life of Christ. And he writes uh, this compilation of the things that basically were fulfilled uh, in the life of Christ. Fulfilled so that, and he, as he writes, he says, he writes these things so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. I hope that as we've been going through this gospel, we have been learning the exact truth, that we know the exact truth. Not only that, what what someone has told us, but we actually see in the scriptures that this is exactly what happened, that what we've been taught is actually what what is taught in the scriptures itself. Luke writes for that purpose so that his audience will have this assurance that that what they believe is true and truly did happen. 
the believers in those days, uh, Theophilus among them, had been taught about Jesus, but doubt had crept into their hearts and had crept into their minds. They doubted because they saw the opposition that was against Jesus, against the church, uh, that had predominantly came from the Jewish establishment. They wondered if what they believed about Jesus actually was true. And so Luke writes this gospel. He writes of the life, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ to show that all of it didn't just happen. It wasn't just an accident, but all of it happened as a fulfillment of God's plan, of a fulfillment of God's promises. In fact, it had to happen exactly as it did. A prevalent word in the book of Luke, as well as in the book of Acts, is this Greek verb that's translated, it is necessary. Actually, it's a, it's pretty, it's a cool, it's a short little verb called dei, D-E-I. And it means it is necessary, or it must. Of the hundred times or so that it appears in the New Testament, 40 times, nearly almost half, are found in the Gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts. So this is a very big uh, theme for, for Luke's uh, writings. And he, he uses it because what takes place in the life and ministry of Jesus is what must take place, what is necessary to take place because of the predetermined plan of God. So for instance, in Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, he had to preach the gospel because that was God's purpose for him. Or in Luke 24, 7, which we looked at last time, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. That Jesus had to die at the hands of sinful men and had to be crucified because this was part of God's predetermined plan. Today's passage is what I would call the exclamation point to Luke's purpose in writing his gospel. It's the summary. It's, it's a unique passage to Luke. No, it's not found in any of the other, four, other, three, other three gospels. So Luke includes it as he as he's, uh, understands it to bring a, a finality to his point throughout the book, as that is that all that has happened to Jesus in his life, in his ministry, in his death, is something that is a fulfillment of what God has purposed and planned, that is because it is revealed in the scriptures. That's Luke's point. That's why he brings us to, our, to this exclamation point today. It is this, it is this, uh, this passage is Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's a familiar passage probably to many of us. Um, and Luke here just makes his point that everything happened to Jesus as a fulfillment of God's plans as recorded and revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and I... I know that for many of us, maybe hopefully right now, none of you are wrestling with doubt, but throughout our lives, there are going to be times when each of us may, may wrestle with doubt, especially when we go through trials. Those, those times when we especially will have, be tempted to doubt. We may doubt, uh, you know, we may not doubt necessarily God's existence. We might. We might doubt maybe even some of the, the realities, the truths of Jesus. We might doubt different aspects of the truths of the faith that have been trusted to us. And all of us at one time or other, and sometimes on occasions throughout our life, we'll face doubt. And I pray that when times of doubt come in our life, that, that the truths of Scripture, passages like today's passage, will come to your mind and remind you of the truths of who Jesus is. 
that you'll be reminded in times of doubt, in times of despair, times of, of faithlessness even, that you'll be drawn back to Jesus, who is faithful, who is true. And all that happened, all that we learned in the scriptures is what took place. And that will encourage you, it'll hold you, even in the face of death. It will alleviate your doubts through remembering that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was a fulfillment of the scriptures. In the first, verse, uh, first 12 verses of chapter 24, last week we looked, we learned about the empty tomb and the appearance of the two angels to the women, disciples, announcing that Christ is risen. Today's passage takes place on that very same day, that very same day, that Sunday, shortly after on that same day. And as we look at this passage, we're going to simply divide it into five points, five, I call it five scenes, um, but five points, five scenes on the road to Emmaus that confirm that the Lord has truly risen from the dead. Uh, for the many of them, they had heard uh, reports that Jesus had risen from the dead from these women, but they didn't really believe it. And now this passage kind of helps us to understand that, <clears throat> that Jesus, through Jesus' interaction with the disciples, that Jesus has truly risen from the dead. Okay? Uh, so let's take a look at point number one. Point number one is, uh, in the first scene, is that, is that the disciples don't recognize the risen Jesus. So in this story, the story begins with how the disciples don't recognize the risen Jesus when they meet him on the road to Emmaus. Look at verse 13 to 16 with me. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So here we get our setting. We see what's happening here. The story involves two disciples, two of them. And it's a, really a continuation of, of verses 1 to 12 because it doesn't even say it's two of, two of them, two of who. And you kind of look back and say, oh, it's referring to the 11 disciples that were gathered in the room as well as some of the other disciples that were with them. So it's all those, this larger group of disciples. Uh, it's probably about anywhere from you know, uh, around 100, 120 people or so probably at this time. These are the, the, the followers of Jesus. So there are two of them uh, that we find here. And um, they were among those who, according to verses 1 to 12, had heard the women's testimony. They had heard the report of, of, the, of an empty tomb. They heard the report of, that they had seen angels and, and that angel had said that he's not there, he's risen. Uh, these were then most likely some of Jesus' close disciples. Not necessarily the 12, it's definitely not the 12, but among the first 120 or so. Now, they, were on a, they traveled this day on a, to Emmaus. It was, the, it was the, the day after the Passover, so they could finally travel. And the Emmaus is a village about seven miles. So that's a seven-mile walk. It's kind of like the, the width of San Francisco, right? You know, you ever walk from one end, you do the Bay to Break or something like that, you know, go, go from one end. It's a, seven miles is a long walk. That's a, you walk fast, uh, maybe 20 minutes a mile. That's a oh, good over two-and-a-half-hour uh, walk. So that's a, that's a good walk. I don't think I could make that walk today, but I'm, I'm sure you could. Anyways, it was a, but it's something you can make in about a good half day. Now, scholars debate about the exact location of, of Emmaus. So it's somewhere along the west, southwest, northwest, uh, different locations of Emmaus. Three different locations are uh, <clears throat> possible. 
But the point is that it's, it, it's a nearby village. It's, it's seven miles away. It's walkable. Uh, uh, probably they don't have, didn't have roads as nicely as ours, so it might have taken maybe half, about half a day. And so um, these two were probably just uh, Emmaus. Uh, were they, why were they going there? Probably it was their home. It was probably their hometown, their village. It was the, the Passover had just been celebrated. Everybody had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate, and now they were leaving. In verse 18, uh, we learn eventually that one of these two is named Cleopas. Cleopas. Uh, the other is unknown. We don't know who he is or who even some say who she is. So it could have been Cleopas' wife, for instance. But uh, we don't know for sure. And as they traveled then, their conversation turned to the things that had taken place in Jerusalem. Uh, the things that took place and the things that happened to Jesus. The verbs used in verses 14 to 15 indicate that this wasn't just small talk. It wasn't just a passing comment. The verb talking that's used twice in verse 14, verse 15, carries the idea of basically having a conversation. So it was ongoing. It was a conversation. In addition to conversing, they were, it says, they were discussing it. They were probably talking about different ideas about what had taken place. There was confusion, it seemed like, about what had happened. And they didn't understand completely why things happened the way they did. And so there was this conversing, there was this talking, this discussing that was going among, uh, on or between these two. What had taken place in Jerusalem over the last few days filled the minds of these disciples. For they loved Jesus. And certainly his death hit them and struck them and made them feel great sorrow. Certainly the, the report of the women disciples shocked them and amazed them and startled them even to hear of the empty tomb. They were certainly, they felt a full gamut of emotions from sorrow to excitement or amazement, shock even. They were probably just asking themselves, in our, in our language today is, what's going on? Oh, I don't understand. It seems that these two disciples were, though, just like the other disciples of Jesus, the 12 particularly. Although they had many times heard and seen Jesus during his earthly ministry, they never quite grasped who he was or why he had come. They did not understand that Jesus had to suffer, that Jesus was going to die. They basically had in their minds an, a concept of Jesus, an idea of Jesus, just as we all do, but their concept of Jesus, their idea of Jesus was an insufficient or incomplete one. They didn't completely understand who Jesus was and what he was about. And the same can be true for us today, can it not? We all have a, an idea of Jesus. Sometimes we, we get our idea from watching, you know, maybe television, reading something, or it could be just simply reading the scriptures. Maybe someone told us about Jesus. And so we all build an idea of Jesus, but, but it's quite possible for each of us to have an incomplete or insufficient idea of Jesus. And when we do, that will show itself at some place or some time in our lives. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, even in, when we talk about counseling, uh, sometimes uh, the, the things that we struggle with, the things that we wrestle with, is because of an incomplete or insufficient understanding of truth, of some truth about Christ. And sometimes grasping and understanding what is that incomplete, insufficient concept of truth in our minds, that, that will help correct us and set us back on a right, acting, right, right thinking that leads to right action. 
But for these uh, disciples, they had this incomplete idea, insufficient idea of Jesus. And it led to their confusion, their disappointment when things didn't go the way that they expected them to go. And that happens to us. Even ourselves, when things don't go the way we expect them in our lives, what do we do? We can trust the Lord. We can trust Jesus. Or, or sometimes we might question Jesus. We might say, Lord, why? Why is this happening? How can this be? But I will tell you that in every case, the problem, the, the problem is with our own deficient or insufficient understanding of Jesus the one who is in control of all things, who holds, sustains all things. It's not with any deficiency or insufficiency in Jesus. And Jesus, in this case, for these two disciples, loves them. And and imperfect as they are, and thank God he does that for us as well, he he doesn't leave them alone to their own uh, device, to their own thoughts. And he appears to them, says... He joins these two disciples. He comes along with them, alongside them as like a, a fellow traveler. I mean, and certainly is after the Passover. So many people are probably on the road, all heading back to their respective hometowns. But curiously, we learn here in this passage that their eyes were somehow prevented from recognizing him. Verse 16. The passive voice of this verb indicates that, or hints that God is somehow behind their lack of recognition. That God in fact, has a purpose in not allowing them to recognize Jesus. They, they, they're filled with thoughts of Jesus and, and the things that happen to him, but they don't understand it. But so Jesus comes alongside them, and you would think Jesus, you know, he could have just showed up and says, it's me, and revealed himself, and that would solve everything, right? Oh, wouldn't it solve everything if Jesus just showed up right now? My faith would be just flying high. And that's sometimes how we feel. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that with us. He doesn't just show up in a, in a vision or in a dream. He comes alongside them in this way, in, a, in an almost unrecognizable way, because he has a purpose in it. He, he wants to draw their thoughts, their attention to a particular thing. And so that leads us to our second scene. So the disciples don't recognize the risen Jesus, and, you, and we, see, we see how they're filled with sorrow and filled with uh, just shock. We lead, listen to the second scene, and that is the disciples then review the life of Jesus, they review the life of Jesus in verse 17 and 24. This is a longer section. We'll probably spend uh, some significant time here. And he said, Jesus said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were in the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. Jesus 
begins in his uh, inimitable way by asking questions that draw out truth. Jesus is the master teacher, and he can teach us simply by asking great questions. Great teachers ask great questions. Jesus begins by asking, what are you talking about <laughs> on your, as you're walking along the way? And it's funny because Luke's so vivid in his description of uh, the response. All of a sudden, it's like uh, you can tell that the, the, the question just jogs their minds. It's like it just like they're, they're literally just stopped by his question. You know, it's that it's that it's that uh, kind of uh, it, it, it jerks them. It bring, in fact, it tells them they, they stand still. And, he, and one of them, Cleopas, looks at him and he's just basically, where you been? Where you been? This, this, are you the only one who doesn't know this? It's kind of, he's shocked. He's incredulous that this, 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 that this Jesus here doesn't know what happened. Of course, Jesus knows what happened. He's, he's Jesus, the risen Savior is right before them, but they don't know him. That's him. They're amazed that he doesn't know. And, uh, and so, uh, but there's significance to Cleopas' in, in question. It's a question of incredulity, right? But it indicates that in the minds of Cleopas as well as the other disciple. That what happened to Jesus was something that was public and visible to all. It was something that everyone knew about. Everyone had the opportunity to see. It was a, it was a public in his teaching in the temples. It was public his opposition to the leaders. It was public that, that his, of his trials before, before the Jewish leaders as well as the Gentile rulers. It was public when he was flogged. It was public when he was crucified. Everyone knew what happened to Jesus. How do you not know what happened to Jesus? There was no question what happened to Jesus. It was such an obvious thing that took place. (laughs) Nevertheless, Jesus persists in his question. He knows what happened, but then he asks, what things? And I just chuckle because they'd already stopped and they didn't ask him and their jaws just dropped how is that possible? They probably shake, scratch their head. But he's trying to get them to basically reflect and review on what has happened. That's what he's doing, right? Jesus wants them to think through. It's like, uh, I, you know, when we're parents, we're asking our kids, you know, oh, no, you just got time out. Why did I give you time out? I know why I gave you time out, but do you know what you did that you got time out? Because I want you to reflect upon, review what just happened. What did you just do? And that's what Jesus, he wants them to think, What happened? Think about all the, the things that happened this week. And what do they reveal? Because they reveal something. Something that will indicate why, where their deficient, insufficient idea of Jesus. So they proceed to tell him about what happened. They begin with the facts. They, they speak of Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, who was mighty in deed and word before God, as well as all the people. So it was, it was seen by all. It was agreed by all that he was mighty in deed and word. Yet despite his awe-inspiring ministry, the religious leaders delivered him over to death by crucifixion. And all of this was disappointing to the disciples. It brought them sorrow. That's why they they were sad at the thought of what took place. They had hoped that he was the redeemer, that he would be the deliverer of Israel. Essentially, they had hoped that he was the Messiah, the Christ. Their hope was dashed with his death. But in addition to this, they speak of their, of their shock, their amazement. When the women disciples reported the empty tomb and, and, the, and the vision of angels that Jesus was alive. And they even reported how some of their fellow disciples, Peter and John, had actually even gone to the tomb. And they, and they found it exactly as the women had said even. It was empty. But then they added at the end, but they did not see him. 
No one saw Jesus. And this last point reflects the, the, the main reason for the skepticism of these disciples. He said everything happened, just as we described to you, but the point that matters to us is that no one saw him. We didn't see him. Their view of Jesus' life and death by these disciples conveyed accurately what took place. But it was somehow, even as they reviewed it, all that happened, they know it in their heads, but it was not enough to convince them that, they, that Jesus had risen. They simply didn't know what to make of all that, what they'd seen, what they'd heard. They are basically inconclusive about Jesus. Because for them, it came down simply to the fact is, well, no one has seen him. Is this not what some skeptics even today say? Unless I see Jesus, unless I, 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 I am able to see Jesus, I simply will not believe. If he's really alive, why don't he just show up, appear? If unless I see a risen Jesus, I will not believe in his resurrection, according to some skeptics. But of course, it's how ironic for these disciples who had this, basically this basic thought in their mind, because we didn't see Jesus, or our uh, fellow disciples didn't see Jesus, we, really do, we don't believe that he was risen. They, they clearly don't believe he was risen. But how ironic, right? Here they are saying, you know, if we'd only seen Jesus, we would believe in the resurrection. Here he's right standing right before them. Because Jesus knows that if he shows them up, if, he see, if they see him, they will truly walk by sight. He wants them to walk by faith. He wants them to walk by faith. Will he trust what he himself has told them? Will he trust, will he trust what the scriptures tell them? Whether anyone had seen him or not, it does not change the reality that Jesus was risen because he's right there. According to Luke, Luke writes this out, he's, he's right there in front of them. He was, he was there. Having seen and heard Jesus throughout his ministry, having heard the report of the women, should have been enough for Jesus' disciples to believe that he was alive. And so, but it was not sufficient for these disciples because of their insufficient understanding of Christ. And so Jesus proceeds to correct them. And instead of revealing himself to them, which he could have done again, right? He just, if he would just solve their problem, just boom, oh, it's me, now you believe. But the fact is, Jesus then wants them to not only think about what happened, but he wants them to think about the scriptures. As that's our third point. The third scene, Jesus reviews the scriptures with these two disciples. He reviews the scriptures in verse 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish men and, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Uh, these two disciples are basically reproved by Jesus, just like the women were reproved by the angels. You know, what are you looking for the, the, living, among the, the living one among the dead? He says, oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe. He calls them fools, basically. Fools. Why are they foolish? Because they were slow-hearted in believing all that the prophets had spoken. You know, they may not have believed the women, but they ought to have believed the scriptures. The prophets that God had sent 
to reveal to them all about Jesus, the Christ. The problem for them isn't that they had not seen the risen Jesus. They didn't need to. According to Jesus, they, all, they had all they needed in the prophets alone. And Jesus asked this rhetorical question in verse 26, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Notice again that verb was necessary. It's a, it's a divine necessity verb. This, wasn't it necessary because God purposed it this way? Wasn't it necessary because God planned it this way? Wasn't it necessary because God said it would happen this way? It was, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? Think Isaiah 53. And to enter into his glory. They had spoken of Jesus the Nazarene being a great prophet, right? That he was mighty in deed and word that had made the, and that had given them so much hope that he was the Christ, that he was the redeemer of Israel. But then they'd spoken of also how Jesus was delivered over to death at the hands of religious leaders. And that made them lose hope. Foolish men, Jesus calls them. The problem is they simply didn't believe the prophets. In their writings, the Christ was to be a great prophet. It's true. A prophet like Moses, who did and spoke mighty things. But also in the same writings of the prophets, the Christ was to suffer before entering into glory. That is, before his resurrection and ascension back to the right hand of the Father, his exaltation. They were discouraged. They were confused because they had a deficient view of Jesus that, because they did not understand the scriptures. They had a view of Jesus that came from, let's be honest, like many of us, from our own presumptions about Jesus. They presumed certain things that Jesus, Jesus you know, because Jesus is loving, he's going to do this. Because Jesus is mighty, he's going to do this. When maybe that's not what scripture says he's going to do. Yes, he is loving and yes, he's mighty. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be trials in your life doesn't mean he was going to give you all the, 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 what everybody else has. So in verse 27, Jesus takes these two disciples through the, probably the best Bible study that ever was. <laughs> Jesus takes them through a Bible study of Christ in the Old Testament, right? Wow, that's got to blow your mind. He he took them through all the way from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, even Deuteronomy, uh, and then all the way, those those first five books of Moses. He took them through those books. He highlighted all the different passages that that spoke about him, and then he went to the other prophets, the latter prophets, and he went through them, and he showed that here are different places where, where he shows up again, Christ shows up. This Bible says it it was, and it blew, must have blew their minds. He explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Everywhere where the Old Testament points to Jesus, he pointed to it for them. He explained it to them. Disciples who had seen and heard all that had happened to him merely needed to simply compare his life, his ministry, and death with what the scriptures said. And if they had, they would have recognized this Jesus, because of all that happened to him in his life, matched up with the Christ that is foretold in the scriptures. And they could have then pieced together that Jesus, yes, Jesus is the Christ. That is why it was necessary that he come and be a prophet that is mighty in word and deed. And yes, that is why it is necessary that he come and suffer on the cross. 
before entering his glory. Jesus is the Christ, especially in light of all that happened to him. And notice again that Jesus has not yet revealed himself to the disciples as the risen Jesus. He's, their eyes are still, uh, uh, this is blinded to it. And he could have. He could have. He said, oh, to me, Jesus. Now you can believe. But instead, he wants them to walk by faith. He wants them to see Jesus through eyes of faith in the scriptures. His questions direct them to review his life, his ministry, his death, and compare it with the scriptures. And that would give them all that is needed. Now, for us today, we may not get to, we did not get to be eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. We were not among the 120 or so that were there, that were there in, those, in that last and final week. But what we have is greater. We don't just have the experiences of personal experience. We have the completed scriptures. We have the New Testament. And the New Testament tells us without error all that is true of what took place in the life and the ministry and the death of Jesus Christ. And that's wonderful because when we take the Old Testament, that's, that's, what, that's the review of Jesus' life. And we can compare it with the Old Testament scriptures, which we still have. And we match them together. We see the fulfillment of Christ, of Jesus, in Jesus' life, of the promises of Christ in the Old Testament. We come, can't, you come to the conclusion that truly Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus is risen from the dead. We don't need miraculous visions or experiences of Jesus. We have the written word of God. And that according to Jesus, it is all that we need to know to believe that Jesus is alive and is seated at the right hand of God. Before, and, be, and before all that, he died for our sins and rose from the grave. Jesus reviews the scriptures. The fourth, this leads us to our fourth scene. And then finally, he does. the disciples do eventually recognize the risen Jesus. In verse 28, 32, uh, having brought them to the scriptures and uh, them basically just being led to the truth, they now, in verse 28, 32, recognize Jesus. And they approached the village where they were going, that's the village of Emmaus, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while we were, he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? As disciples near their home, it was near the end of the day. It was, the sun was starting to set. So uh, disciples uh, were so encouraged by their fellowship with Jesus, they, they'd come to preach this, they didn't know it was Jesus, but they, this fellow traveler, that they invited him to stay with them. It's getting dark. They say, well, it's near the end of the day. Why don't you stay with us? They invite Jesus to stay with them, and they had been blessed so much by the review of God's word that they wanted to show their appreciation and, uh, for his kindness. And of course, along with the invitation to stay with them is the invitation to, to share a meal with them. And now, and the story tells us, that as they're reclining at the table, Jesus uh, acts like the host in some way. It's uh, unusual. He takes the bread. Usually it's the, the host who takes the bread and might divide it up, but he takes the bread, and he breaks the bread, and then he... Actually, he gives thanks for the bread. Then he 
He distributes the bread. What's, what's, you know, immediately, you know, for those of us who, uh, we didn't get to see, walk with Jesus, but that should bring to our mind uh, scenes from Jesus' life. Most recently, Jesus, the Passover meal, where, with communion, which we just took today, where Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he gave, he gave thanks, and he gave it. It also could remind us of the feeding of the 5,000, and a very similar wording there as well, where Jesus took the bread, the five loaves, and he broke it, and then he gave thanks for it. He gave thanks for it, he broke it, and then he distributed it. It was in this moment of fellowship with Jesus that the eyes of these two disciples were open. Again, uh, we see the passive voice here, this verb that indicates that it is divine activity, that it's God is opening their eyes to see these truths. God had kept them from seeing, recognizing Jesus, but now God was enabling them to recognize Jesus. And they recognized him, and they were like, oh, it's Jesus. And this, by the way, this is not unique to this situation. We, we see it happen to the disciples in, in other, some of the parallel uh, passages as well. That initially, people don't recognize Jesus. Jesus, but there, Jesus, the risen Jesus, was there right before them. And then, peculiarly, he just vanishes. You would think of them, well, he was just stick around and talk to them, you know? But he vanishes, and really, we don't know how, we don't know why. Uh, we, may, we, just, we can only speculate at best. But the point is, they finally recognize Jesus. Through fellowship and the breaking of bread, they recognize Jesus. Explain to them, uh, for the, these disciples, explain to them why, and when they realized, oh, it was Jesus, that's why when he was explaining the scriptures to us on the road, that's why our hearts were on fire. That's why he, when he was teaching us, man, we were just being convicted. We were being, we were just like, our eyes, it's like we were being seen for the first time. You know, I, I love this point. It's just a, a real subtle thing. As, a, as those who teach the word of God. You know, when we teach, unless Christ is in it, if we're teaching, we're just informing you of things. But when Jesus is in it, we get illumined. We get enlightened. Because God, Jesus, through his spirit, teaches us. And not just teaches us information, but he convicts us. He causes us to, to recognize the, the wonders of God's truth. And, and when we do that, when we have a, when that fire is lit under, under us because of the, Jesus' teaching, we walk away wanting to do something, wanting to live, wanting to worship, wanting to praise. It's a fire that moves us to live and speak for Jesus. And that can be true for us today, too, even as we open the scriptures. You know, if we want to ever have a to know or see Jesus. A lot of times people, I remember when I was a young Christian, which, oh, I really wish I could just to, to see Jesus. I wish I could just hear him. You know, uh, I long for those kinds of things when I was a young Christian. Because, you know, you just got to read and you say, well, man, they, they heard and saw Jesus. I mean, that's, that could happen to us. But I was, you know, I was mistaken as a young Christian. But there's an even greater thing in that we know and hear and see Jesus through the scriptures. And we have a sure understanding that it's Jesus. When, if we heard a voice and he's saying that he's Jesus. Henry, it's me, Jesus. How do I even know that's Jesus? More likely, I'm just hallucinating. And how would I even know that it's truth? I wouldn't have any certainty this truth. But God's word is completed 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded faithfully by, uh, over the years. This is a sure revelation of God's truth. It's a sure revelation of what Jesus wants you and me to know. And it tells us all of that we need to know about Jesus, that he is alive and he's risen. In these scriptures, they reveal Jesus. And so all we need is the scriptures. And, but when Jesus illumines you with his truths, you will respond. And disciples, they responded with immediate, I mean, had an immediate response, which leads to our final scene, the disciples' witness of the risen Jesus in verses 33 to 35. Disciples' witness of the risen Jesus. Uh, we'll pick it up, 33, 35. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Even though it had been a long day, even though when it was the end of the day, they were, it was because of that reason, it was near the end of the day that they told Jesus, why don't you stay with it? We need a rest. But because they, were, they had a fire lit in their hearts, they, they decided, we're going to go back. We're tired. It's the end of the day. We're, it's dark. There might be robbers on the road, but we're, we're going to go back and tell somebody about this. This is that exciting of news. We've got to tell the other disciples. They returned. They immediately returned the seven miles back to Jerusalem. They found the 11. They knew where the 11 were. They found those who also were with them, the other disciples. And, and before these two are able to say what happened, notice what happened. What the 11 and the others say first. By the way, we, uh, at first, sometimes verse 34 seems like, is this the two saying this? Or is this the 11, the other disciples gathered saying this? And grammatically, in the, uh, the syntax in, in the original language indicates quite without a doubt that these are what the 11 and the other disciples are saying. That they are saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Because Simon Peter was there. So this is that Simon Peter. Somewhere and somehow earlier in the day, the risen Lord had also appeared to Simon Peter. And although his appear- that appearance isn't described by any of the other gospel writers, it is also alluded to by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. But how exciting, you know, they arrive to tell, I've got great news, i got great news. And they say, oh, Jesus is risen. It's like, you know, took their, stole their thunder. But nevertheless, they, had then, they got their turn to say, of what they saw, what they heard from Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and how then eventually they recognized him when they broke bread. And that's why we break bread, even today. That's why we do one of the faithful things we do is we break bread, we, we take communion together as a church body, because it is in communion that we see Christ, we remember Christ, we, we know what Christ did. I hope that in this room, all of you have come to believe in the risen Jesus, that he died for your sins and rose from the grave so that he might be, you might be saved from the wrath of God. And now if you, have, if you have, as you reflect on his life, as you reflect on scriptures, as you fellowship with him, may your lives respond by being witnesses of Jesus as these two were, that as the scriptures would, would light a fire in your soul so that you will want to tell others about it, 
And you want to say, and you say, well, no, you don't know. I'm really afraid of public speaking. I'm afraid of, of being rejected. Then, then it will light a fire for you to begin praying for courage, praying for boldness, praying for opportunities, praying for open doors. Because if God goes before you, he will make it so that you can open your mouth and be a witness for Jesus. Pray about it. Let's be those witnesses just like these two were. Well, in our passage today, in this, this Jesus appearing to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus teaches them, these disciples, and Jesus teaches us that all that happened to him, including his suffering and death, was a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. It's all recorded in the scriptures. <clears throat> and he wants his disciples, the two, <clears throat> to, be, to believe in the risen Savior, not just because they see him, but because they have observed his life and they see it consistent with what is promised and predicted in the, scripture, in the Old Testament scriptures. And it is, he wants his disciples to walk by faith in the word of God. That God's word is sure. And, we can have, and because God's word is sure, that this faith will give us assurance of the things that we hope for. The, the hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. This gives us, the scriptures give us confidence that Jesus is the Christ. It gives us confidence that he is the king. And as, just, as we've sung today, he's the king who is going to return one day. He's the king of, of kings. He's the king that is forevermore. The king who fulfills the promises and plans of God to bring salvation to this world. The king who will bring all to completion one day at his return. It will make all wrongs right who will establish his kingdom and welcome into that kingdom all who have placed their faith in him. All this is promised. All this will take place because it is the fulfillment of what God has said in his word about his son, our Christ and king. And we can always trust in our king who saved us through his death and resurrection. Just a couple questions um, for us to reflect on and hopefully help maybe if you have uh, discussion groups later on today, how does your study of the scriptures help you to know and love Jesus more? The scriptures all point to Jesus, so even the Old Testament, how does it know and love Jesus more? And then secondly, how does the, the Lord's Supper, communion, we call it, help you to see Jesus more clearly? Even today, you can just reflect upon communion earlier. Did that help you to, to remember Jesus, to love him more, to know, remember what he did, and to, to, to encourage you to live for him? And then lastly, how does your recognition of the risen Jesus affect your witness of him? We all, if you're a Christian, you believe the, basic, the very basics of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus rose from the grave. That's what I believe as, as a Christian. That's the gospel. But does that recognition, that how does that affect my life? How do I respond to that? Do I just believe it for, so I can be saved? If it's true, if it's really as good news as it is, it, it should be something that drives us to want to share with others. Or at least pray about to share it with others. Pray that the loved ones that we know would come to know this truth. Let's be powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for these truths. And uh, thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who is the Christ. Uh, thank you, Lord, that he is risen from the dead. And we believe this not because we've seen it with our own eyes, but we've seen it through faith in the word that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, for both the New as well as the Old Testaments. Thank you that in them we can see what the, what the disciples on the road to Emmaus saw that day. And Lord, 
thank you for the opening our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to the truth of the risen Christ, our King, who is, will come back for us one day. The King who provides forgiveness of sins and salvation to all who believe in him. Lord, we praise you and thank you for Jesus, our King, uh, the Christ. And we ask that you would continue to glorify uh, him through our lives as we live to be witnesses for Jesus. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.